You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms and the new 110 Ultralight. At about six pounds, the 110 Ultralight is designed to combat elevation and the elements while maintaining the performance of a factory blueprinted Savage 110 action. The carbon fiber wrapped stainless steel barrel makes it durable and lightweight. The rifle comes equipped with the Savage AccuFit technology, so that means it's adjustable and it comes in a variety of calibers. The 308, the 270, the 28 Nosler, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 30 out 6, and much more. If you want to find out more information about the 110 Ultralight, visit SavageArms.com. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. We may have to change midway, but they'll never notice. They'll never know. Hey guys! If they didn't know this, we are very rogue, like kind of <laughs> off the cuff, very Low much key. unplanned podcasts. A lot of times where we yeah, don't I, have notes. I think that there's sometimes they can probably tell. Probably, <laughs> <laughs> but um, that doesn't mean that we don't care. That just means we've been busy. <laughs> it's just a normal or, Tuesday. Yeah, or or we've got uh, just you know a today lot, a is lot going Friday, on, but um, because we're busy on Sunday and Saturday. Yeah, but um, we're we're coming at this podcast as the third leg of the vegetation series that we've been doing. First yeah. week we covered grasses. Second we covered forbs. The third we're covering shrubs. My favorite. My I, absolute. I, 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 I think baby favorite because of uh, the wide range. From not just the different types and different growth rates or different levels, but also the wide range that you can use them for improving your farm for wildlife. Yep. And then overall, I'm always cheering for the underdog. Well, I underdog. Was just, I was just going to say the same exact like phrase. The, the shrub is the underdog of land management. It's, it's the most underutilized of all the ones we're going to do in this plant species or plant community. For no daggum good reason. You know? <sighs> well, Aldo Leopold said it best when he talked about lumping everything in as brush. Yeah. It just falls Shrubs into this fall into category. brush because cause you can bush hog them. Yeah, they're, they're, it's like that almost like the level of um, almost too dense, but it's just, it's just, bush hoggable enough that yeah. it's gratifying for people when they look at something and they're like, oh, God, look at that. And look then they that. brush hog it and they're like, look what I've done. Yeah. I've done brush hogged it. And I got rid of it. Got gone. Yeah. It got gone. And then uh, the other thing about it is it's like a lot of them grow in a twisted up stem and it looks like a a a, a dud of a tree. It, yeah. Like it can't quite be a tree and so we need to cut it down. 
Yeah. And 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 it can't make acorns, so we got to cut it down. Or it can't make walnuts, so we got to cut it down. Well, yeah. And and I think that that is the often misleading um aspect of a shrub is the mass production on shrubs. Yep. Like you you think that they don't have mass production, but that's because you don't know shrubs. And, and you, you don't, don't know. have or you don't and you don't have enough of them on the landscape and they're gone. The sh- the mass production is gone and snap of fingers prior, you know, squirrels get them or whatever. Or there's shrubs growing in the timber and that's the only they place can. they're growing they can't get enough sunlight and nutrients yep. to produce. Yeah. The, much. the structure is there, the twigs, the buds, the leaves are think there about for forage, but no Hazelnuts, when I, when I think Absolutely. of that, is, Absolutely. is uh, just, you see them growing in the timber and they never hardly make it. Yep. They might make a few on every other year and squirrels eat them up before you even notice. Yep. And, and so it is an absolute underdog, but at the same time, you and I both were, were saying the same thing pre-show is it is the multi-tool or the Swiss army knife of land management of habitat management this is a vital part of of a plant community that does so much for various species of wildlife and it's like it's almost i wish we had 14 hours to talk about shrubs and not just the hour that we have because it's like we have to elaborate on the shrubs. And, and we've done a whole nother podcast. Look it up. Type it in the search bar. Shrubs. Land and Legacy. Because we've done other podcasts devoted to shrubs before. But with this one, we've, we've, we're, we're, we're going back to, let's say, the basics of what they are, what they do, where you can find them, and like I said, the, the, the roles that they play in comparison to grasses, forbs, and trees, absolutely. Uh, I just absolutely. I, I there's so many. Like that, that's the hard one when somebody says, "What kind of shrubs should I get?" Like, do you I, even realize how many options you have? Yeah. What what site are we talking? Are we talking next to your timber? Are we talking out here in the prairie? Are we talking down in the bottom ground? Are we talking moist sites? Are we talking east slopes, north slopes, west slopes, south slopes? You're talking next plump, to your house and your landscaping? Colony forming. Yeah. What are do you talking want? Mass production, soft mass, hard mass. Like, what's your what goal? What was it last week? We got fried shrimp. We got <laughs> we got garlic it's shrimp, barbecue worse shrimp. With shrubs. Shrubs. I mean, we can go on. And with some bung hose. Uh, that's the first one that he says in, in the, Joe Dirt. Yeah, um, I was going to say, that's Joe Dirt. Yeah. Reference on the fireworks. <laughs> sounded sounded weird when you said that. I was like, "Where are you, where are you going with that?" Because I just couldn't even get through it. I oh. wanted people to hear the title of one of those fireworks that he lists in that you movie. Picked a good one, Joe Diarte. Yeah. So that's what we're talking about: shrubs. And 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 we'll start with the definition. We've got two definitions here. Number one is a woody plant which is smaller than a tree and has several main stems arising at or near the ground. <laughs> Fantastic. Exactly right. Okay, perfect. I yep. love that one. Number two, a shrub or bush is a small to medium-sized perennial woody plant. Unlike herbaceous plants, shrubs have persistent woody stems above the ground. They are distinguished from trees by their multiple stems and shorter height, less than 6 meters, six to 10 meters in height. I love that this second. This is America, so what's, what's that in feet? Oh, feet. 20 to 33 foot tall. Yep. Less than that. Yep, yep. 20 foot tall shrub is a, is what I would consider a very tall shrub. Very Most tall. people would picture a shrub from being anywhere from 2 uh, foot to 8 foot is oh, what yeah. I would say. That that That's what's most applicable from yep. a wildlife standpoint to... Um, There's for, guys that would see them. a 20 foot tall shrub and say, I can almost hang a saddle in that thing. <laughs> And I'm sure somebody has it not <laughs> knowing. Well, like I, I look at like, you know, I've I've been to, and I know you have too. Like areas have been clear cut, and it's like, fifteen, twenty years later, and everything's oh, yeah. thirty foot tall. And you're like, holy crap, that's sumac in the canopy up there. Like, uh-huh. you're like, and you're like, someone would want to saddle hunt that if they could. Yeah, <laughs> or stick a tripod up in it. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. But so uh, I, I don't. I, I think mean, that I do, but I don't even know where to begin with shrubs to start. Um, dissecting them. Key word in that definition to me is woody. 
Yep. And 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 because of a couple reasons, woody meaning that it's got lignin or fibers that are going to withstand most winter weather patterns and weathered elements. So it's likely going to be standing year round. And I will say this more so, more dependently than trees. Think of the branching structures. These are multi-stemmed woody. Yeah. Woody, you know. Um, so you can on multi-stemmed. Yes. And they are, they're not like extremely branching. So they're, they're essentially vertical, all arising above the ground. Yep. Relatively from and a, you know, same base. it did not say trunk like Correct. it would in a tree. Correct. It said stemmed, meaning smaller in diameter. Like similar to, they would say stemmed with grasses or mm-hmm. forbs. It, so stemmed, as in that size or a little bit bigger, but woody. That would be yes. the difference between grasses and um, and and forbs. Well, yeah, one of one of the many. But but the the key is is the structure of the branching aspect of a tree in comparison to the multi-stemmed woody aspect of a shrub is once you get branching and you're starting to reach out horizontally you begin to add and bear weight of many of the elements that you said that shrubs were kind of um uh let's say they 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 did not fall victim to so like ice and heavy snows yeah a lot of trees they don't withstand that because of their their horizontal branching structure whereas a shrub it can get ice it can get snow. It's not yeah. going to come down. It can yeah. get wind. It can sustain all that. So so we have all the benefits, let's say, of a of a woody um all the benefits of a of a tree om- almost in a smaller compact package. Yeah. I just look at like a tree, an it's, oak tree, like the one right here behind me, yeah, 10, ten yards behind me. Looking at it. A right big now. giant wolfy post oak. That's a couple hundred years old. And if you took that tree and you look at those big, thick stems, trunks, or branches going off almost borderline parallel with the ground, and you look at that and you say, man, that thing could withstand some weather. Now shrink that down into a five-foot package or an eight-foot package. That can do some wonderful things for wildlife. Think about this. It's like... It's like the El Camino. <laughs> the multi-use. The yeah. multi-use. It's Good got a bed. Good gas mileage and got a bed. I'm wearing my mullet and I'm rocking down the road. <laughs> but it's useful and it's in a smaller compact version. It's not, Pimp- a, it's not a big old pickup truck, right? Pimping ain't easy. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, is, it is totally the El Camino of big pickups. It can still do the same duties, but it's not going to be in the same big huge frame package well i would say or, that or, or when Ford you're talking Ranger. about when you're talking about big decked up like trucks just just know that you're talking about a, a Silverado 1500 a Ford F150 a Toyota Tundra just a good reliable truck that can pull a uh, Cummins diesel yep not talking about the big jacked up one that's that's uh, six inch lift, thirty eight inch tires, humongous tires. that everybody has your stereotype because that's yeah. giant miscanthus of the world. <laughs> Don't <laughs> come on, <laughs> there went half of our listeners. That coming? Yeah, yeah. The well, same guys driving those trucks are the same ones playing miscanthus. <laughs> <Gigantus. laughs> that's horrible. <laughs> You're judging. Stop. <laughs> Let's get back to shrubs. Shrubs, love them. So they're yeah. extremely useful. In, in, a, in a lot of different ways. And, we, and we've covered their structure, their heights, their characteristics, their growing characteristics. But essentially, at the same time, a large majority of them that we're going to cover today also are extremely good from a cover aspect, yeah. but also from a foraging aspect. Yeah, not you could look at from woody brows yep. to either hard mass or soft, soft mass. So um, that means year-round. Yep. Pretty much, pretty much, and yeah. and, and year round cover, yeah, yeah. Yep. from from a thermal aspect in the summer time frame because they have a little bit of a you know umbrella type shape kind of conical. A lot of the multi stems come up from a general similar origin and then kind of branch out. I don't say branch out, fan out a little bit. 
Um, so you can get underneath of them, or they're a colony forming, and you can get in between them. Yeah. Um, if you're a poult, if you're a turkey, if you're a quail, if you're a fawn, um, some some deer is not you know they're not going to be in the center of a giant um, plum thicket, plum thicket, or, yeah. or gray dogwood thicket, but. <laughs> The fringes, the outside edges, if there's other yeah. ample cover around, absolutely they will be. But you have thermal regulation in the summer and in the winter from one 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 um, type of species or one type of vegetation plus the year-round food. Forbes didn't really do that. Grasses, Grasses didn't certainly do that. didn't do that. I know a tree ain't going to do that. Nope. So I'm... I'm I'm simply saying they're shrubs all are, shrubs, I'm, I'm, they're my favy. They're my favorite. They're all a puzzle piece. You can you cannot have a plant community with just one. You you can have an aspect of a plant community or 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 a portion of one, but when we're when we're managing for diversity on the landscape, we need composition or expression from each one grasses, forbs, shrubs and trees but we need it at the right composition absolutely and And i think uh that's where i'm i'm (laughs) distracted what are you doing i'm very distracted yeah i was trying to look at a cutty linky (laughs) oh gosh (laughs) yeah um but that's where once we say diversity really comes into play and and not only that but i'm excited to talk about you know with with forbs and grasses we talked about annuals and perennials and then the fours we talked about annuals perennials and biannuals and we talked about um, different height structures but with this we're going to get to talk about soft mass hard mass upland sites lowland sites quality summer cover versus quality winter cover Um, there's it's it's a different type of diversity it's a different type of benefit but there is a reason to understand multi-species and how you can implement them rather than keying on one yep. like we often do as deer hunters and deer land managers. I think of, uh, well, let, let's just let's just break down um, the, those different categories of, of shrubs that we're going to cover. We'll, we'll start with upland. Um, yeah. You know, I'll let you let, take a stab at, at naming off some of the ones that first come to mind and then, then I'll, I'll supplement and add some other ones. Um, like so, we have the beginning of the podcast. We're gonna rattle them off. We don't have anything written down, but <laughs> we're gonna um, we're gonna work through these different categories um, to to break them out. So we'll, yeah. we'll start with the upland shrubs. And yeah. upland, I'm just we're just thinking generally speaking, you know, drier sites. Nothing that has sustained wet feet. Um, anything that would grow in an old field. Anything that would grow along a food plot yeah. edge or a timbered <clears throat> edge is essentially what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I think of the sumac family, whether it be yeah. staghorn or smooth sumac yeah. or winged sumac. Mm-hmm. Um, then I think of uh, American plum. Yep, uh, I think of a couple of dogwoods, gray yep. and rough leaf dogwood. But yep. they can also be in wet areas. Yep. Um, but you typically I'm thinking about some of them that you would see out in a prairie mm-hmm. or see here in the Ozarks and some of our upland or savannah or glady sites. Lead um, plant. Lead plant and then even um, aromatic sumac. Definitely. That one grows everywhere across the Ozarks and in really pretty semi-shade areas. I think of yeah. American beautyberry. Um, I think of uh, from an upland site. I think of... I think of nannyberry up mm-hmm. north. Absolutely. Um I, th- I think that pretty well covers it for me. Um, but yeah, that's hazelnut, the other thing. Hazelnut, which hazel? Uh, yeah, and which you could very well lateral those yeah. and, and, and say that's a wetland species. There, there are, in, in a yeah, we could say these are shrub, you know, uplands. Some of these are going to fall into both. Yep. In, 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 yeah. But that also is the beauty of the shrub. They're, again, the multi-use. Pretty where, adaptable. Uh, absolutely, they're adaptable. Um, and so they, they play... They play both sides of the fence when it comes to upland dry feet versus versus wet feet. Um, yeah. So those are yeah several just you know right off the, the the bat. But from from an upland side of things, we're we're, we're talking the benefits from quail. What are quail going to utilize these shrubby pockets? Um, these these plant those communities that we that we rattle off in those names what are they going to use those species for 
Yeah. Um, so when you think about um, if, if we're talking, since I don't want to lateral too much because we can go on rabbit trails really mm-hmm. quickly on the Shrub Podcast, but we're talking upland sites, specifically bobwhite quail, and how are they going to utilize these? And I think a lot about, let's just start with some of the first ones I listed earlier, is sumac. And sumac being, when you look at the growth structure of sumac, you're going to see uh, a single stem, but in a colony most of the time, go straight up four or five foot and then have branches that almost parallel the ground. That one does branch more so than some of the other shrub sub shrubs yeah. we'll talk about. That one, that one will branch out. It has a little bit different growth structure than mm-hmm, the others. Mm-hmm. So a single stem comes up, but in a colony, so there may be 20 stems, 30 stems, 50 stems, depending on how much this has uh, been established. And they're going to grow up, and then they're going to have kind of like an umbrella effect where there's really dense leaves. And so a quail utilizing that is probably going to uh, use it a lot more, it's not probably, it's going to use it a lot more during the summer than it would in the winter. Because during the summer, it's going to be an umbrella, breeze is going to blow through there that's going to be able to thermal regulate and be secure from aerial predation. And also, because of this, the stem density, not have to worry so much about ground predators like coyotes and raccoons as much. So it's a great little pocket, sumac. I, I think of sumac... From a stem density standpoint, because of the branching structure up top, yeah. it doesn't have nearly the stem density as you may find in a plum thicket, American plum, or right. a gray dogwood thicket. Quail will utilize both, but you know, a, a turkey poult or a wild turkey can easily find its way into many of uh, you know uh, your your average growing sumac. Um, yeah. Did we and, mention and lead gr- plant in the upland sites? Yeah. Okay. Yep. You said it, and then I said aerial or aromatic sumac. Yep. Yep. And and so like, but they can easily walk in there and seek seek absolute shade, but mm-hmm. then still get a little bit of a breeze down through there low. Yeah. Um. So, it, it, well, amazing. No, go, go ahead. Go ahead. And, and go, so ahead. then you no, flip over and you it. can go with American plum, which mm-hmm. is going to grow in these sites and and a very kind of a thorn densey very dense shrub pocket that has probably more stems than uh, than sumac, mm-hmm. but also has more of a rough, brambly feel, a, 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 a bramble kind of thorn feel to where you still don't have to worry about aerial predators. Yeah. But also the blooms early it. in the spring are going to attract a lot of insects, yes. which could yes. you know die, fall, whatever, land on the ground. More insects attracted, so that's a more food source for for quail and turkeys, but also um, during the, you know, you probably really get in the weeds here, but that soft mass late summer, which is still a great, uh, a great structure for quail, but attract many forms of wildlife to come eat that. Uh, And then that scat could attract more insects, which could then be more food for the quail. Um, So there's a, there's a lot of ways that the quail could utilize American plum and sumac uh, and I know the the other aspect I think that shrubs don't get talked about a lot, especially for brooding, you know, animals like a bobwhite quail. The dogs or probably not used to hearing. Uh, there's I don't dog know if they can hear a dog in the background, but neighbor's dogs barking is probably used to hearing people talking loud at 10:30 at night. Bro. We're talking about shrubs, bro. 10:45. He 10:45. better. 10:45. He better learn. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I, they they also because of the the lack of um leaf coverage that they have not that they're they don't have leaves but because it's not the same amount that you'll find on a tree um generally speaking there's bare ground underneath of the shrubs so navigation in and around these these um shrubs are very very easy for Lots again, lots of different wildlife of varying sizes, whether it's freshly hatched quail or turkeys, um, to be able to navigate and get in and around these shrub colonies. And what what's also kind of fascinating to me with the shrubs is the way that they grow in and among each other. They have some of them, especially sumac, will tend to grow, especially in an open landscape, in the very dome-like 
structure. Like yep. it's on the edges, it's relatively short, but in the center, it's much taller. And they just have like this um, structure. I think I think honestly to support and from a shade aspect, and then the way they help to block the wind though too. Like it it just is like as an individual, the plant's good, but as a colony or as a group con- congregation. It, they work so much more. They they provide more benefit. It, you yeah, know, it is a absolutely. community. Yeah. Um. And, and it's and so you think cool about to see fire. If a raging fire is swept yeah. across and hit that whole colony, yes. it might kill some of the outside, but it's not going to kill the entire colony. And, and and it's colony forming growth. Um. It, it, it's because it's its own defense mechanism to grow in a colony versus the single stems out there because they would be consumed, and so a lot of that 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 shape of of the dome is is likely because the ones on the outside continue in the right properly managed areas continue to have fire and be set back, so they're just naturally shorter while the interiors don't have the consistent um setback so it it's just i i I love you know let's say just seeing a a, an old field or a prairie functioning properly with the right disturbances and then these shrub communities um or shrub species adapting to that disturbance there's something that's just like you're like, gosh, that's just so natural, um, and, and it's providing so much. So um, that covers upland, I think, really well. We brought in fire. We brought in uh, a lot of the different key species, the growing tendencies there and, and, and how they benefit. I mean, even for deer, though, too, the shade aspect is, is, is phenomenal. They get on the backside. They can rotate through an entire summer day around a shrub colony as the Especially sun. Especially sumac with the yeah, breeze coming in totally. and still find the shade. You know, and then you look at late season, and, I mean, I'll, Chad and I just walked part of our family farm just a few days ago where um, – there was sumac that was being hammered, mm-hmm. uh, the brows. They were eating all the tips and right. all the ends of the branches. And so that was providing great, you know, great cover for quail during the summer and then shipped that into the fall, and the berries were providing a great food source um, for a lot of species. And then now in the winter, although it's not providing much cover, it's still providing forage and, yep. and like, when you compare that to a lot of even food plot plants that that are out there, there's not much that you can find that's going to provide as big of a window in time for cover and then still fill a pretty good-sized window for food. Well, you know, they may not be the absolute um, end-all, be-all for cover in the winter. Or food. Some, some can be. Or food. But, right. But it's it's... It's them matched with or compared with grasses and the brambles that do add a component of improved cover. Again, I hope everyone's following along with this series that there is a strong emphasis on plant communities. That everyone plays a role, and this is another example of that role. Don't overlook any of them. Yes, yes. They all need to be a part of the landscape. It's just how, where, when do you create yeah. it, and how do you lay it out? Because each, each plant group or each podcast series, whether it be Forbes, grasses, shrubs, trees, they're a puzzle piece. And if mm-hmm. you look at that puzzle piece during the course of a year for cover, you can say, okay, each one of these fills a part of this 12-month calendar. Yeah, so yeah, for sure. So without one of them, then we have a gap in our calendar. And some of them might be able to spill over and fill that void, but you know, with it, it's a more complete puzzle. And then you can do the same thing for food and say, wow, over the course of 12 months, each one of these fills a gap. Definitely. And without it being there, you have to rely on those others. And if you're relying on those others... There's deficiencies. There's deficiencies, and then there's the possibility that the wildlife have to leave your farm to go to somebody else's. Yeah. All enough to say you want diversity on your property. Yeah, diversity of plant. Not only diversity of plant communities, but diversity of of um, of specific 
categories of mm-hmm. plant communities. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, wetland. Let's wetland. go into wetland shrubs that that come to mind and talk about the role that they play um, from what they do in, in, let's say, the environment. Because um, yep. they play a, a big role. And, and there's a lot of wetland shrubs out there. <laughs> shrubs in, in, the, in the wetland areas are, are, are a huge aspect of, of wetlands. But go ahead and, and start I, naming a few some off of that come to mind. come up up north, it'd be red as your dog would. Guarantee 100%. Take it to the bank. <laughs> yeah, if you're in the northern climates and you're not promoting red osiers, you're missing If the you bank. don't know what they are. <clears throat> yeah, you need to learn. Uh, so Google. you got you got red osier, dogwoods, button bush being button a, a big one. Yep. Um, there's a couple willows that are mm-hmm. more of a shrubby effect, even though that's a curse word to some people. Viber- the viburnum family. Arrowwood, there's yep. yeah, arrowwood. Um, there's different dogwoods like we mentioned, but silky, silky. dogwood would come in big here. Choke cherries, mm-hmm. spice bush, witch hazel. Um, Shoot, alders. Uh, I was gonna say gray alders is is another big one that I see a lot on like that that transitional zone from wetland up to upland sites. They can grow in either one, but yep. really do well in in those areas, um, and even in the semi semi shade stuff too. So and I, well, I mean, there's a lot of shrubs that do well in in the partial yeah. shade partial sun, a 50-50 mixture. important for a lot of guys. Alder, because guys down south may not even be like, what? Yeah. Does yeah. he mean elder? No. Box Alder. elder? A- no, A-L-D-E-R. Yeah. Look them up. Yeah. But so th- those. Oh, oh and one of my favorites. Elderberry. Black elderberry. Oh, yeah, for sure. Which for sure. Definitely a big wetland deal. Yeah. Um, You know, I, I think of the wetland side of things from when I see – Shrubs in a wetland, I think of slightly higher ground. I think of secure areas that deer are going to be going to to seek refuge. But I also think of the role that they play from, from honestly, just water infiltration, um, having the diverse root system throughout. Um, Can grow a lot quicker than a tree to yep. stabilize a stream bank. Totally. I think of the viburnums. I think of the the beaver swamps that that have shrubs growing along the whole outside edges, or or if there's hummocks out in the middle of it, that they are growing um, the the shrubs to sustain and and have that root system. If there's a little bit of you know um, matter that is going to be um, you know. I guess accumulating over time and it's going to be shallower water, you will find that there will be shrubs that can grow in very shallow waters. Um, some, some that we mentioned and that they are going to do extremely well, um, support a different type of um, other grasses, sedges around them. Um, but then a lot of them are going to have mass producing aspects as well that are, will be woody brows, um, throughout different portions of the year and some of them might be even hard mast and they're going to have um uh, aspects for we didn't for mention waterfowl yeah hazelnut it's another yeah. one another one that we saw down in florida that was a, a really low growing shrub it was a, called running oak it was at yeah. most two foot tall at most yeah and it had acorns the size of post oaks on it <laughs> Isn't it was that a, crazy it was awesome i was running fascinated oaks. by them yeah, and it was so cool, but it's just like this. I mean, they were shin high. You're going through them, um, thick, dense, but they were browsed like crazy, um, right next to palmettos, and and um, it was just it was really cool. But but even those low growing, very fire tolerant species, they were having mass productions. Um, so it was it was extremely fascinating to see. But but back back to the to the wetland species. You know they they um, are the ones that take root, and I feel like they're almost like the host plant for many of the other wetland grasses and sedges to begin to grow in and around areas that are routinely underwater. Yeah, it's like okay, that's like the base, and then from there we'll get this once, expression. Once the shrubs get a hold, then the other stuff can get a hold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And and and. And then not only that, but then stay standing or keep their structure into the winter months. Because mm-hmm. anybody who's ever hunted in lowland sites knows that 
come this time of year, January, it can get pretty stark when it comes to cover in there. You know, you think you think uh, what Reed's Canary has just overtaken so many different bottomland sites up north. <laughs> yeah, yes, right. My goodness, I've uh, seen so many acres of Reed's Canary grass yeah. to last the rest of my lifetime. Yeah, but besides. The only one that really stands upright and and is as super aggressive is cattail, but yeah. everything else generally will lay flat, especially if you have water, if you have snow, if you have ice that moves yeah. through. It's pretty much flat against the ground, and thank goodness for for a shrub and its woody structure to be able to remain vertical in yeah. those environments. There's a mini duck hunter that's tried to hide his silhouette in a button bush oh, shrub. Yeah. Not even not, probably it. not even know that it's button bush. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Be like this is the only thing I can hide in because everything else is flat. Yep. Well, if it wasn't for shrub, you wouldn't have anything. Another one that is is an upland site that I um, takes me back to to some younger years and actually another property that I worked and I talked to that um, um, landowner today, but um, he's going forward and planting shrubs and and breaking up some some larger ag fields and creating these hedgerows that corridors across across fields but um specifically we saw on his place allegheny chinkapin mm. yeah and he he um was able to source some and will be planting some additional ones but it's just fa- like there are just so many shrubs out there I, like again down in florida there was there was um fetter bush that was another one um i'm trying to think of the other one that was just Palmetto <laughs> wax, wax myrtle was down there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh gosh. I wish I'd have got to go on that consult, but uh, I was in the middle of a newborn and yeah, kind of tied up. But there was. Uh, I'll think of it later. But any anyhow, there there are there are countless opportunities there to be able to manage wetland sites, and um, the shrub component is extremely. Um, critical to having those areas be productive throughout many months out of the year. There's a lot of people who um, will focus in on wetland low-lying areas because, generally speaking, a lot of the trees don't have the same ability to sustain the wet feet that shrubs do no. with their growth structures and everything. So then there's a, a an abundance, let's say, of shrubs that will grow there. And what I see a lot, too, is, covering is, food. is water levels changing pretty drastically where two years in a row you may see really high water yep. and it kills a lot of the big trees mm-hmm. or it may be really low and you see just this kind of barren ground where shrubs can get established much quicker yep. and, and, you know, they may die out because for two years in a row they're underwater. Yep. But then it goes down, and all of a sudden it doesn't take those shrubs very long to grow back. And and now you and wow, big trees are like it took me eighty years to get here, and now I'm dead. But and shrub it's going to take me much longer to get back to that same structure. And so shrubs can feel that it, it's the can com- be that crutch. Yeah, it's it's, it's, that, it's that compact. Going back to the, the El Camino deals, like. You may not have a this giant truck, but hey, it's it'll, not flashy. It'll get due. It, it's not it'll flashy, work. but it'll work. It will work, and and honestly, I think in many ways, um, in many applications, it's superior. Yeah. Um, but I think of um, I think of honestly when when I shrubs, if there's an area or a region of the country that really should rely on shrubs, I think more than what they do. Is certainly the northern regions. I think of mm-hmm. snow, um, and I think of you get a foot and a half, two foot of snow, and doesn't melt until March. And yeah. you all you have is timber. Oh. What are they eating on? Like your shrub component better be extremely developed on a property if you are holding over deer or feeding deer on your property throughout those months. Yeah, you you know if you're relying on spilled grain in crop fields and and or hard mass well guess what they're they're a foot under the snow yeah sorry and the, no can and, do. in this day and age there wasn't much spilled grain to begin with correct correct and yeah. so you're you're um way behind the eight ball unless you have shrub components um within your understory or just anywhere really on on your property so 
those areas that have shrubs will have wildlife and be the supporting factor of, you know, carrying through larger populations throughout the wintertime in those extremely harsh conditions. Yep. Um, hard mast. What what are some of the key deals, key key ones that you're looking for from a hard mass production um, that that are relatively underrated? Mm. Uh, well, Amer- American hazelnut, yep. if it gets the uh, right amount of sunlight and nutrients to produce it, and you don't yep. have squirrels rob you. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one, like you mentioned earlier, Allegheny mm-hmm. chinkapin, and then yep. uh, down south, running oak that you yep. mentioned. Um, I can't think of any others around here in the Ozarks that I would say great hard mass producing shrub. But then again, we're two hours into podcasting tonight, and so I'm <laughs> having a little o- bit. 11 o'clock at night. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I, I think those are about the it. There's not a lot of hard mass producing shrubs out there. Now, keep in mind, this is where I think that some of these oaks that you can plant that are in shrub form can mm-hmm. produce um like there's that dwarf chinkapin now that yep. is kind of a that some nurseries have taken on to be which is a shrub forming tree that never really grows tall but it produces a lot of acorns um and uh i think things like that are are awesome um but you're not going to find uh, a lot of shrubs that produce hard mass, um, unfortunately. Um, well, that's think, where think, you can rely more on young they, oaks or, or shrub form, like blackjack oak, mm-hmm. which definitely looks like a shrub the first 20 years of its life. Well, and, and if it if it's beyond that, you cut it and you bring it back down to shrub form, which yeah. I think is the, is the benefit of... We'll talk much <laughs> deeper into this during next week's podcast when we talk about trees. But but how many times are we talking about in in other podcasts, essentially cutting trees to make them like shrubs, restarting them? Yeah. Well, they'll yeah you know have new root sprouts or stump sprouts. Essentially, we're creating from a single tree shrubs, and then burning them every four yeah. or five years so that we keep them in a shrub form. That's the value. We're like, like, I think that's what people have like forgotten is we're taking trees and trying to put them in a shrub form. That's yeah. how much we love shrubs. And that's, that's yeah. how much, and I don't want to say that we love shrubs, but that's how much impact that they have or purpose that they have is probably a better word on the landscape. Have you ever gone through a grocery store and all the food is on the top of the shelf. Like go through Sam's Club or Costco and everything's high and you can't reach it. No. They always put it within reach. Yeah. And half half of our properties that we work and drive through across the country, all the groceries are out of reach of the wildlife. And they're up there. They they can look up in the trees and are just waiting for the acorns to fall down. Tell you what, I would be, I would be super, super skinny. And I have a big old crick in my neck if I was a deer, because I'd be like, I can't wait till October. Yeah, you keep making the acorns. When, when, when I've stared at that tree all year and it had provide, <laughs> it's provided me almost nothing. Yeah. And finally, for two months out of the year, it's going to give me something. Yep. And and the guy who owns this place, he must apparently love those because he's got the whole place looking like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's an issue because it you got to have the groceries within reach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think you know. F- w- w- what about soft mass, and that that's a larger oh, category totally. of of um, you know Mexican plum. We haven't even plum. One of the other one, elderberry plums. Goes elderberry, black haw, yep. choke okay. cherry, black haw. Yep, that's another service berry. Yep, nanny berry, winter berry, yep. um, spice bush, beauty berry, smooth sumacs, yeah, like all those witch hazel, yeah, can produce some sort of soft I guess mass. It's not a soft mass, but yeah, yep. that's a beautiful bloom. And if it doesn't produce soft mass, it, it produces indigo, woody browns. Yeah, indigo bush and yeah. um, lead plant. We said lead plant earlier, yeah. but indigo bush is another one that we haven't mentioned yet on upland sites. Yep. 
Um, you know, and, and, and I think this would qualify as a shrub, in, in my opinion. It has woody components to it. It's certainly a perennial. Um, like, you know, a high bush blueberry. We oh, see totally. high bush blueberries everywhere. That's Even a low bat. bush blueberry is yeah. a shrub. I mean, mm-hmm. I've seen it get two foot tall, which yep. a bedded down deer, that's all it really needs. Mm-hmm. And they produce berries. Yep. Not very good ones. Right, right. Most times, but they do produce a berry, which but, is but a blueberry, none, and it's, it's But nonetheless, like, it's a it's, it's a shrub and it's a soft mast deal. Um but but you know, what again is the, that, the benefit What is that one I'm drawing a blank, but I'm thinking about over in the eastern United States, um, it's green. It's almost year-round green. Um, shrub grows in the understory. A lot of, uh, oh, my goodness, Pennsylvania's got a lot of it in the mountains. Um, mountain laurel. Isn't it mountain oh, laurel? yeah. Kind yeah. of that shrub. So it's component. like a rhododendron, but uh, yeah, yeah, a mountain laurel. Yeah, it doesn't and, and doesn't have a mass producing, but, but it is for a, cover. For is a hundred percent. You'll see it growing a lot on on uh, cool, like very shaded areas, north slopes on 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 mountainsides, above creeks. Um, but yeah, I mean, from a, from a structural standpoint, it's ten to fifteen foot, probably tall at, yep. at full full growth. But I mean. I have I've I was seen trying to many play deer into the PA guys and they were browsing it through. where I was at in really? PA yeah Oof. but then again everything gets browsed in PA <laughs> especially Everything's in the free mountains game. <laughs> free game if I can reach it and wrap my you know, like wrap tongue my around tongue it. around it yeah because it. it's extremely waxy leaves um, well that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Because you think about it, though. I mean, uh, I, they man, they probably don't eat the leaves of that. No. But bodark leaves or hedge or Osage orange, all three of the same tree, very waxy leaf. Deer hammer it. Mulberry, very waxy leaf. Deer hammer it. Those two species have more than any other tree You've or leaf. You've been around a magnolia before? It was like a thick. Oh, a yeah. Yeah, thick. yeah, yeah. That's like the mountain laurel leaf. Like it's pretty, pretty similar. It's a little bit thinner. Uh, that's what I was gonna say. It's, like, it's a little it's, thinner because it's, it's pretty like similar. Magnolia leaves aren't very even flexible. It's no, kind of like it, to me, a magnolia leaf is just like I think that's where insoles to it's boots a, came from. It's a giant, like, well, I guess pine needles are more flexible because they're 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 to thin. To me, it's just like a boot the, thing. Like it's got a little flex, but not much. No, it it uh, that's, you could use it as a fan. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing, yeah. With you know, mountain laurel. But re- regardless, Good it, it has a it has Better a cover. it has a yeah it has um components that would make it certainly pretty dang good from a um, cover standpoint and offering that year round because it doesn't lose leaves like in the no. wintertime, still green green leaves. Yeah. It's got them. Well, your favorite too, American Holly. There you go. Oh gosh, man, I was out in uh, Maryland last week. What was week the first word of that? American Holly. Yeah. So you can't hate it <laughs> a lot because it is native, but it on. Well, I'm not gonna lie to you, and I had this conversation with with a group I'm going to be be visiting with in in April. To me, it is absolutely 100 percent. Eastern red cedar of the Midwest and the prairies, it is yeah. that of the East Coast. Gotcha. It is abundant in the understory, never loses leaves, extremely shaded, produces berries, birds carry them around, crap them out. I mean, it is everywhere in the understory. If something is clear cut, guarantee you what's going to come back. Sweet gum, tulip poplar, the occasional oak, and American holly in the understory everywhere. So here's my question for you because you come from the East Coast. I'm a Midwest guy. All right. When you came to the Midwest yeah. and you looked at eastern red cedar in a shrub kind of form, six foot tall, was there ever a time or did you notice it right away um, of going like, man, those eastern red cedar, like that seems like it would be pretty good for deer because it's green and it kind of holds its structure. I could see why a deer would use that. Did you ever feel that? Or, but when you came to the Midwest, you were really young. I came, came out of the wound, hating Eastern. Yeah, right. <laughs> you didn't, you no, didn't really honestly, have them that much in Virginia. Oh no, it's, you can. Yeah, I mean, if if you let a field go, you're getting you're getting cedars back. Most most hedgerows. Well, I thought it was holly. You just said that was a no in the fields. 
you're going to get, get Eastern, Red Cedar. Eastern Red Cedar. In the timber, you're going to get American Holly. Gotcha. But you're no if you, if you let a field go, it's going to come back in Eastern Red Cedar. What about uh, is it does it grow in the understory nearly as much as it does out here in the drier sites? Or under the post oaks and everything? No. Okay. But I have seen it where it's like, oh, that's bad. Like, that needs to be taken care of. But what we get even, I think, worse or as an early successional uh, evergreen that has very little value is Virginia pine. Oh, it yeah. grows up. I mean, it's a Charlie Brown Christmas tree of, of pine. gnarly, twisted it's up gnarly, thing. It's yeah. gnarly. Ugly as sin. <laughs> Even and the needles can't make it very no, long. They can't make it long, and there's never very many on a tree. And I'm not like this is no exaggeration. They always blow over. Oh. Like if you have if you have a hillside or a high knob or anything that was open years ago, and you have a little bit of ice or you have a little bit of wind, yeah, fifteen will fall. They're the weakest. They're the, they're toothpicks. So, like, there are many spots, and hey, they have held deer in in years past. In my experience, not saying it's good, but they're just blowdowns. Like like there's there's a lake that we used to hunt around. And there's a lot of points that went out like high knobs, and a lot of them were were Virginia pine heavy, and so the wind would whip across those lakes or um or have you know wind or ice whatever and those points out there were thick yeah and it was just like a mess it's like pickup sticks game of virginia pine mm. and so you just walk the, the shore and just blow your scent through there and they line up the edge of the peninsula and here come the deer but it was just like that that's what they were laying in and among but yeah. you just guarantee they're gonna fall over i, th- I think if you could ask all pine trees, they'd all say they want to be a longleaf pine. Yeah. Because yeah. a longleaf pine like is the, so majestic. Like, stallion. It's just like, oh, I want to be that pine. But mm-hmm. then Virginia mm-hmm. pine, nobody, no pine would say, I don't think, would say, I want to be a Virginia pine or I want to be a sand pine. No, I want to be left to get blown over by a 20-mile-an-hour <laughs> wind. <laughs> I want to be a white pine. White pines are pretty cool hey, pine. White pines are, pre- white pines are pretty red cool. Red pine, I like red pine. They're pretty cool. I, but you I'm a short-leaf fan, obviously. Yeah. Yep. Short I mean, leaf, when I look at I don't know about you, but when I look at our logo, I say that's a short-leaf pine. Now, that is a fine pine. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. No, I, I agree. It's I can guarantee you this. When we were looking over it, I never envisioned it was a stinking Virginia pine. <laughs> You're I pine. hate that it's even Virginia in the name. Yeah. But it, sure that's enough. That's funny. That's it's funny. Uh, well, I ask that because I, I've been on several properties where there's like a dot. There's just like a random holly tree in the timber. And I'm like, oh, look, there's a holly. And I can almost, I'd almost put a $20 bill on the table and say, we're going to find a deer bed by that thing. Now, take that and say, some guys heard that and said, holly's a good thing to bet in. But it's the only thing in closed canopy hardwoods that has vegetation five foot and under. To me, if it's like there's a bed around that holly, it's like, well, your timber sucks. Yeah, so like it's wide open. And I and I say all that to uh, not to get away from uh, from shrubs, but to to talk about closed canopy hardwoods and and even semi shade hardwoods where there's a little bit of sunlight coming in, but not a lot. And and going, where do shrubs fit into that? And it's certain species of shrubs that that you can utilize in those semi-shaped spots. And one of the big ones down south being American Beautyberry. Mm-hmm. If you're in pine mm-hmm. plantation, oh, man. and you're or you're in the like northern Arkansas or central Arkansas, and you've got mixed hardwoods or mixed, and you're going, what can I do to make better cover? and not that doesn't involve cutting trees, try to promote American Beautyberry because it is one of those that can grow in that semi-shade um, landscape that can provide a ton for wildlife. Another one would be spice bush. Yep, yep. I, I don't think spice bush nearly has the, let's say, the, the browsing or leaf. Even Carolina co- buckthorn, yep. which some guys up north were like, buckthorn! It's different. It's different, yep. But... Like, they they have an absolute role. And I think that 
there's so many people who who literally they don't know the woodland shrubs because quite frankly they don't have sunlight at all coming to the camp. They've never seen them. We, I, we were well, at a property the other day. Um, we were shooting a video um, that hopefully will come out soon with um, the guys at Tethered, yeah, and on their property, and it had been logged, yeah, south facing slope. And we got walking in there, and it, it was it was logged pretty hard in some areas. Um, I would say fifty percent canopy and fifty to sixty percent canopy in some areas. Yeah, hazelnut everywhere. Oh yeah, everywhere yeah. you walked around, like whoa. Oh, there's another bush. There's another bush. Look at yeah. all these bush. And it was thick and it was dense and it was awesome. It was like, yeah, I guarantee we we have bumped or bumped deer out. And then we, we walked another 10 yards. Like, well, there's a trail coming up this spine of the ridge. Well, no doubt that they're in here bedding daily. It's exactly what you would want and what you expect and hope to find. For sure. Shrubs. And, and, and that brings up an earnest point because a lot of times people don't understand shrubs or even... They, they take them for granted of, and I'm talking specifically the native shrubs, because for years and years and years, shrubs, most shrubs on average don't do well in closed canopy timber. No. And if you've heard this podcast once, you've realized that most of our timber is closed canopy timber. So shrubs fall in a category of not having a place. You- because if they're in a field, it needs to be food plot, crop field, pasture. Yep. If it's in the timber, it's going to be grown logs. Yep. And there's not really a place for shrubs to show their full bounty. And <laughs> I laugh. They can't showcase themselves and what they can do. I was on a property years ago where one of the food plots uh, had a had a certain name. Um, and I, I think your boot is melting over there, by the way. <laughs> the end of your boot looks looks very... Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. I've been sitting here smelling something going, are my boots on fire? And I looked at yours. I'm like, that looks Dang. misshaped. That is a little misshaped. That gummit. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, yeah, I think that 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 the, the new fire pit did not serve you well. No, and uh, <laughs> I won't rest my boot on the edge. <laughs> I like these boots. I don't think they weren't be my danners anymore. But anyway, um, um, and and this food plot had a particular name um, that was crab apple. Yeah, and I laughed. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool, crab apple. And I'm looking, and I'm like, where are the crab apples? Because all I see are plums. And so many times, you know, people think that, oh, it's a shrub, or it puts off a fruit. It must be an apple, or a pear, or a peach, or one of our do- domesticated kind of un- uh, non-native plants, yeah. fruits. But yet, it's a native shrub that's providing a wonderful benefit, but it falls in a category that's the unknown. And, and... The unknown is what's killing a lot of our landowners uh, and the fact that they have a, the ability to promote a plant or a shrub in particular specifically is what I'm saying is that can provide, uh, that can really fill a lot of the void that's happening on their farm. Totally. And and here's the other aspect that I love about shrubs is <clears throat> many of their resistances to fire. Like think about it. What yeah. was in the definition? Multi-stemmed woody plant. It's difficult to to kill a woody plant with fire. I yep, it is. And, and yeah. so, so we already have a. It's multi-stemmed. easy to top kill, but it's hard. Exactly, to, it's hard to kill the roots. Kill it completely out. So yeah. top killing, sure, great. But if I top kill something, <laughs> guess what? If I already had a multi-stemmed plant. I'm looking at a multi-stem plant and then some probably back. Yeah. So I get more shrubs with fire, potentially. Yeah. But but regardless, they're fire resistant and, and, and in a lot of cases, not all cases, but but in a lot of cases, you have shrubs and you burn a field or you burn the timber, you're going to have shrubs that come back. Absolutely. Great. Yeah. I, what What more do you want? Another one that we haven't mentioned was Hawthorne. Yep. Yep, I, for I, sure. I, I forgot to mention that. Uh, yep. My wife and I have had some discussions about, uh, you know, the potential of, of a home one day and, and what landscaping and her brother being a, a cop has shared the importance of having structure and bushes thorns or, and stuff or, right. or, or trees or shrubs in front of windows mm-hmm. to prevent any kind of 
invasion or, or burglary and how it just makes it harder. And I'm like thinking in my head, what native shrubs are there that have thorns enough to deter, deter somebody? That yep. And I'm like, Hawthorne. Hawthorne. And a beautiful bloom. Yep. Yep. So, that would do it. Yeah. Anyway, um, I want to share a quick story on shrubs. A lot of times, too, when, when guys ask us, I want more quail or I want more rabbits or I want more small game, mm-hmm. um, I see woody structure or shrubs being one of the big things that they miss. It's either not enough disturbance or not enough woody structure. And so... Um, too much grass. Too much grass, not enough woody escape cover. And I'm thinking about a property I worked in Kansas a few years back that had a uh, the classic case that, I mean, if you, I mean, we if we've seen it once, we've seen it a hundred times, where, you know, you've got decent CRP kind of grass or prairie grass where there's a diversity, but then you transition into smooth brome with... Smooth brome? With... Uh, um, honey locusts. Oh, dotted f- around. It's yeah. like, well, I thought you know that, that those honey locusts. I thought that was kind of serving as the place for the quail. Nuh-uh. no. That is a it, single stem. Single stem goes up it, it ten is, foot before it ever makes branches. And it is an early successional woody species that comes in relatively quickly, but that's not a substitute for a shrub. Yeah, uh, unless the quail is going Period. to run circles in a cartoon shape to avoid the predator, it doesn't stand a chance. Yeah. And so that's where it's like, okay, spray the smooth brome and cut those honey locusts down and then plant bare root seedlings of yes, whatever shrub native to this area you want to use in those honey locust yep. treetops and watch nature's design god's design go crazy yeah and, and i think you know propagation of shrubs is, is super important and, and and i think there's there's certainly two as we get into this aspect of the podcast before we close it out there's two important points to make we've hit on them but when you're trying to replicate shrubs on a landscape sometimes there's animals like you just mentioned, birds that will help you out and do work for you. Yeah. So if you have a field and there's trees in the field, use the canopies of those trees that you've cut to plant your shrubs in. And then other birds will come and light on those canopies and then deposit additional seeds, therefore creating shrub colonies in and around a down treetop. So so essentially you've planted some shrubs or you've just let nature run its course birds have deposited and you've replaced a tree with shrubs over time i guess the other aspect is i see this and part of it is because of some government programs but i see so many people trying to implement shrubs like once they get on board with shrubs they begin to implement them and then they plant them in a linear fashion across a landscape. And even if you have them either caged or tubed, they're browsed. Yeah. Like, like, like shrubs don't grow in long linear lines. So, so why try and rep? Why try and plant them and put them on a landscape in a long linear line when they don't grow? Like I've never seen a shrub grow in a fence row other than because there's a fence and birds because are it, them out because there was a, a fence put there exactly and then birds sat on the wire top wire and yeah. crapped the seeds out and and there's like, crop five yeah, foot off the yeah. fence line yeah like, yeah yeah that's and the only reason that's why one that of my happen. biggest complaints about the government cost share equip programs of shrub plantings yes. they generally come in the form of Long, Long linear, linear shrub rows. Like, I'm like, that's not how they grow. That's 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 you're setting yourself up for failure. To if you're trying to propagate shrubs in a general general area, don't do long linear lines. Do clumps. Yeah. Do do the size of what Kyle Frank usually say car hood sizes. Yeah. Plant those in a, in a, in a space. Um, let them fill in naturally, and then go beyond and plant another one. Um, and it works fantastic that 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 Poke canopy them, of a tree. Don't line them. Yeah, it, dom- think of a domino, like you know, scattered, yeah. staggered across the landscape. Yeah. But 
that canopy also will help protect and reduce browsing pressure on deer if you have high deer densities um, as they can't get through the canopy to get to the tender woody ends, the stems. So, like, again, there's another prime example of we've seen it time and time again of people planting shrubs in the long linear fashion and deer browsing them so hard because they're so desirable that they don't ever grow. Yeah. They just walk right down the line eating the tender ends and the buds and the shoots and then the leaves and they literally don't get any taller than just a bare root ceiling. Essentially, it's like, great thought. I love, but the, but I the, love the ambition. Yeah, the implementation of the practice resulted in a failure um, where we could have done it a little bit differently, had shrubs in the landscape, but but we 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 didn't do it right from the start. So yep. we got to wrap it up, Matt. I got to leave in the shrubs. morning. I got to leave in a yeah less than twelve hours for a consult. So shrubs are awesome, fantastic. Um, need to be a part of a landscape. Have a a, a multi tool use um, feel, and if you haven't done your research, do your research on them, learn what's native to your area, plant them, kill all non-native shrubs, such as bush honeysuckle on yeah. autumn olive. Those are the bad ones. Don't do it. Cut them, treat them. Multiflora rose. Multiflora rose and they get them on a shrubby format. Yeah. Replace Guys, thanks for listening once again, and we'll catch you next week. See ya.